0: Production support for Earth Eats comes from Blooming Foods Co-op Market, providing local residents with locally sourced food since 1976. Owned by over 12,000 residents in Monroe County and beyond. More at bloomingfoods.coop. And Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent with Personal Financial Services, assisting businesses and individuals with tax preparation and planning for over 15 years. More at personalfinancialservices.net. From WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Kate Young, and this is Earth Eats. We make the caramel from raw,
1: soaked cashews. It's a very non-traditional caramel, but is really great.
0: This week on our show, we revisit Primally Inspired Eats, a bakery catering to those with food allergies and restrictive diets. And Josephine McRobbie takes us on a nature walk in search of wild edibles. That's all coming up, so stay with us. The Piedmont Picnic Project wants you to know your roots, both literally and figuratively. On their wild food excursions, the group teaches both regional history and local food skills. And sometimes the reward for all that learning is a truly wild pizza party. Producer Josephine McRobbie has the story.
2: Finding fresh local foods in late winter and early spring can be challenging, but a closer look at our backyards and walking paths reveals edible wild weeds everywhere. They can be pickled, added to smoothies, pesto, and tea, and used as toppings for pizza, pasta, and salads.
3: All of these spring greens are little nutritional powerhouses right now because they're storing up so many nutrients right before they go to flower. It's
2: two days after a rare February snowfall in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'm standing with about 20 other people at Well-Fed Community Garden.
3: Um, We are going to learn about some of the edible plants that grow all around us here in this mostly urban environment we live in, and we're going to um, combine it with a little uh, cultural and social and geographic and natural history and just kind of get Really, get closer to our food, get a deeper connection to where our food comes from and what we where we eat.
2: Elizabeth Weichel is a public historian, and along with self described homesteader like Amanda Matson, she runs Piedmont Picnic Project. Their classes cover things like mixology, gardening, and fermentation, and are grounded in local history. As we walk, Elizabeth will share how major snowfalls impacted the state capital as it developed into an agricultural powerhouse. Well, Amanda will show us how to identify edible plants. We start off with safety and etiquette. The first rule is know thy plant, a skill one can develop with plant ID books, guides like Amanda or Elizabeth, or even phone apps or YouTube videos. Don't
3: eat anything that you're unsure of what it is. uh, Make sure that you've positively identified anything
2: Amanda recommends getting permission from home and property owners to pick plants and to be mindful of how one forages them.
3: We never want to over-harvest plants from a particular area. And there are some plants that are actually um, at risk or endangered because people have over-harvested them.
2: Um, We take off across a busy intersection, walking past a local high school and stopping to examine the grass by the parking lot. Amanda says common environmental hazards can include poison ivy, fire ants, pollutants near industrial zones, and railroad tracks that are heavily sprayed with herbicides. On the other hand,
3: if the grass is a polyculture like we're seeing along here, right, there are a lot of different weeds growing, then it's probably a pretty good sign that they're not spraying or at least haven't sprayed any time recently.
2: We spy our first plant, dock. This variety has fat leaves that curl like fried bacon.
3: So there are several parts of dock that are edible. The leafy greens are one thing that you can eat. The best tasting ones are gonna be the youngest leaves. And so those are the ones that are gonna be the lightest, brightest green growing in the center of the plant. When you cook dock, it tastes kind of like a slightly lemony spinach, I would say. If you pull some of the outer, kind of more mature leaves, some of them will get, you know, this long wide. So you can even make something similar to a grape leaf wrap.
2: We pick a few tall tubes of field garlic, also known as onion grass. It's
3: hollow inside. Um, And then the other big thing is that smell. You get that uh, very strong onion or garlicky smell kind of in your face. And they're one of our favorite pesto ingredients because you get this really kind of green, garlicky taste or smell. They make really good pickles. So you could pickle the whole bulb. I like to leave a little bit of stem on them. Um, and they're really cute and like a little wild martini. If you're mm-hmm. into that kind of thing.
2: As we head into the mouth of a greenway, we see a little clump of edible weeds, including hoary bittercress.
3: This is one of my absolute favorite wild greens. And it tastes to me almost exactly like arugula. So I'm gonna pass it around and if you feel comfortable, Go ahead and take off a leaf and taste it. Um, It's in the mustard family, um, so that's why you get that kind of peppery, spicy arugula taste from it.
2: One of the easiest plants to identify is dandelion.
3: My grandmother used to talk about um, how this time of year, right as spring was breaking, they would go into the fields and gather dandelion greens, bring them home, and kind of similar to collards, you would cook them with some sort of pork fat and some vinegar to try to cut that kind of bitter taste to it and that was kind
2: of by the crazy. end of the half mile walk we've also found chickweed wild geranium purple dead nettle and henbit <laughs>
3: is anybody going free
2: we head back to well-fed garden okay. where we prepare pizzas with some special ingredients from piedmont okay. picnic project wild greens okay. pesto hen of the woods mushrooms pickled pine tips and muscadine marinara sauce. Tammy, one of the well-fed farmers, entertains us as we put our bespoke pizzas into the outdoor wood-fired oven. We first
0: moved in, it was Thanksgiving, and um, we were told yeah. to cook a turkey in there. It takes four hours to heat up, but once it's heat, heated up, it'll be like two days, and it stays this
2: warm. Um, so we took the um, turkey and put it in there. 18-pound turkey was done in one hour. One hour. As a final activity, we try our hand at foraging pizza toppings from the weeds in the garden beds. Uh, This is uh,
3: garlic. What did she call it? Uh, I call it wild
1: garlic. garlic. uh, She calls it wild onion. Onion grass. It's called
3: field garlic, actually. But also known as onion
2: grass. Amanda and Elizabeth want Piedmont Picnic Project to live up to its motto of knowing your roots and using them.
3: And so we do that in a number of ways that try to build more food skills with people so they can have kind of more independence from that industrial food system, um, connect them more with their local food system, especially things that they can make, grow, or forage themselves.
0: That was producer Josephine McRobbie. Find out more about the Piedmont Picnic Project on our website, eartheats.org.
1: All of our items are soy-free, most are dairy-free, wheat-free, gluten-free, and then on the pastry side, grain-free.
0: Brandy Williams bakes for everyone. But she caters especially to those on restricted diets of one kind or another. Sometimes it's due to allergies or sensitivities. Sometimes it's a choice. So if you're gluten-free, grain-free, keto, paleo, dairy-free, or even vegan... Primally-inspired eats might be the bakery for you.
1: Some oat maple here. And then this is our Foodworks-inspired Toby loaf that we created in memory and in honor of Toby Strout, the former director of Midway House. And then, of course, the infamous seduction loaf, the dense, seedy, crunchy loaf. Got a few of the pastries here. The double chocolate brownie is the Uh newest addition to our pastry selection. The raspberry tart, and then the chocolate caramel cake, which is great. And then our lavender vanilla bunt. So we've got all of our breads that are gluten-free, but all of our pastries are actually not just gluten-free, but they're grain-free as well. And most of them are dairy-free. They're all refined sugar-free because we sweeten only with local honey, local maple, date paste, those sort of sweeteners, and so therefore they're sort of uh, keto and paleo friendly too.
0: That's Brandy Williams offering a guided tour of some of the goodies offered at her bakery. I went with Ayob Binder so he could take some photos, and Brandy had her daughter at the shop with her helping out. We also took a taste test tour. I landed on the chocolate caramel cake. It's it's just got such a deep Dark chocolate flavor.
1: It's it's we use um, raw cacao powder as our chocolate base for that. So it's an almond flour based cake. Uh, so it's grain free. Um, and then there's raw cacao powder in the dry mix. Lots of local free range eggs. It's sweetened with local maple. Uh, so there's no processed sugar.
0: But the flour is mostly it's, almond.
1: Yeah, just almond flour and the the raw cacao powder. Local free range eggs. Sea salt. Baking soda very basic uh, ingredients. And then the the chocolate ganache on top, you're getting a good dose of that raw cacao powder too. We make that and it's just the raw cacao powder, local maple and some organic coconut oil. We make the caramel from raw soaked cashews. It's a very non-traditional caramel, but is really great. And we can thin it down to even be like an ice cream sauce. We'll just add a little more maple to it to thin it down. Or if we want it a little thicker, I might add some date paste with the maple, like for the cake. But yeah, it's completely dairy-free, too.
0: Brandy started baking this way due to her own diet choices. She started experimenting with avoiding gluten and grain products about 15 years ago.
1: It struck a really good balance for me. I felt great, all those things. And then um, it was expensive to eat that way a bit, though, too. You know, if I was buying packaged items, which at the time I still was doing that a bit. So I just started testing recipes that I could do at home that would be less expensive and I could stay with that sort of eating habits. And then I had children and my focus then was I wanted them, of course, to eat nutrients as well but I didn't want them to necessarily feel like they were missing out on these kind of experiences especially with like sweet pastries and then maybe like go to a friend's house and binge on ding-dongs because they don't they didn't get to indulge in things because we were too strict with our diet or something so I challenged myself to just bake these items that when someone tasted them they would taste just as good as its conventional counterpart like they wouldn't say oh well that's good for gluten-free or oh well you know I really challenged myself in that way and that took a really long time because that was about texture and different combinations of flowers and but I feel like I definitely feel like that's why our business has continued to grow because we have We've tailored it to people who have allergy sensitivities. But when we just have anybody that comes by and samples our items, they're usually just really blown away by the fact that it's just really good.
0: We talked about the difficulties in making breads that are gluten-free, since gluten is so crucial to the structure of yeasted breads. We talked about the toby loaf in particular. It's
1: kind of crusty on the outside, and it's airy and light on the inside with nice pockets and slices just like regular sandwich bread.
0: So how does she do it?
1: One of the replacement items that we use in in replacement of gluten is psyllium seed husk will become when you add it to a to wet ingredients it gets jelly and kind of stretchy too do you know what i mean it will perform that way so if you can get the ratio right on that um, then I think it does a good job along with the eggs of just mimicking it, it really it's almost like magic really because I can't point to the one thing that's making that loaf work. Yeah. It was just getting the ratios exactly right on that specific day. Why is that loaf called the Toby loaf? Toby, it's in honor of Toby Strout, the former director of the Middleway House. And Toby's family came to me. They've been customers of mine from the beginning. And they used to do, midway the women used to produce the food works loaf, the gluten-free food works loaf. And that was Toby's brainchild. And they packaged it and sold it at Blooming Foods. And then the, pro you know, whatever they made went back into the whole production. And Toby felt very passionately about it. And it wasn't long after she passed that her family just came to me and said, if we give this recipe to you, would you be willing to rework it a bit? Because at the time it had soy and corn as part of the flour mix, and they, uh, her daughter especially wasn't eating those ingredients, and we didn't, we didn't bake with those ingredients. So that's why it took upwards of almost a year to really finalize that loaf. And a portion of each loaf goes back to the Midway House.
0: Next, I asked Brandy about the specific types of diets she is catering to.
1: Definitely, people who have a gluten because there's a difference. Some people just have gluten sensitivity. Some people are have full-blown celiac disease, and we have those both of those kinds of customers. We have the customer who's just avoiding gluten, kind of like what I did early on, and then we have the people that are completely removing gluten and grains. And some people are doing that as an allergy issue, sensitive to gluten, dairy, soy, corn, all those things. So even the even the allergy-sensitive person, we cater to we get a lot of happy faces when they come by our booth and they'll say, "Oh, is everything gluten-free?" and you say, "Yes, everything's gluten-free." And their eyes kind of light up and then they say, "Well, do you use processed sugar or is anything, you know, paleo-friendly or keto?" and I'll and I'll direct them to the items that are. And then a lot of times those questions lead to conversations and we develop, we have very strong relationships with our customers because of that. It becomes very personal. Or you'll have someone that comes and says, Oh, my elderly dad has he just got diagnosed with celiacs and he he's just like he love he wants bread or, and I bought your Toby loaf and he's like so excited because he can have toast now and have that experience. And so we develop really strong relationships based on that. That wasn't something that I was actually expecting when I went into this, but it's one of the things that I value the most about our business now.
0: That's Brandy Williams talking about her bakery, Primally Inspired Eats. After a short break, Brandy will walk us through the steps of her sweet potato feta frittata. Say that five times fast. Production support comes from Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio. Architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects sustainable, energy-positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at GriffeyCreek.studio. Insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance, offering comprehensive home, auto, business, and life coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected, more at BillRushInsurance.com and Blooming Foods Co-op Market, Providing local residents with locally sourced food since 1976. Owned by over 12,000 residents in Monroe County and beyond. More at bloomingfoods.coop. Brandy invited us back into the kitchen to share a recipe. Primally Inspired Eats started as a home-based vendor, using their home kitchen based on Indiana's cottage food laws. Under that classification, they could sell their products at farmers markets. But as their customer base grew, they were looking to expand. We started looking at packaging some of our items
1: so that we could sell wholesale at Blooming Foods. But once you make that leap, then you have to be baking
0: out of a certified kitchen space. They moved into the kitchen of a tea shop in downtown Bloomington called Cup and Kettle. Their space was certified, but underused. Primally Inspired Eats rented the kitchen, baked there, and sold at farmer's markets, to Blooming Foods, and had a few items in the bakery case at Cup and Kettle. Recently, Brandy went into full partnership with Jessica Mesmer of Cup and Kettle. They expanded the bakery case, and they'll soon have their signage out front.
1: It just made sense. We're both female business owners. We share a lot of the same challenges. We're both mothers. And so we were both, I think, looking to share some of the overhead and responsibilities of owning a business just so that we could actually free up some of our time to spend with our families once in a while or just read a book or do normal human being things. Oh, or watch a movie. Exactly. Yeah, we're just like full steam ahead now, so. This is my daughter, Eleanor. Hi,
0: Eleanor. In the kitchen at the Eleanor, back of the shop, me? Brandy's daughter, Eleanor, had her apron on and was standing on a step stool, cracking brown eggs into a large metal bowl. She needs to crack a total of 30 eggs for the recipe we're making today.
2: Mm-hmm. This whole thing and like this whole thing and six of these.
1: That's right. And where do your eggs come from? They come from Rising Moon Acres, um, Steven Stoll. They're local local farmers that currently set up and sell at the East Side Farmers Market. So we purchased probably You're right fifteen. On my Anna Pro. I know we probably purchased fifteen dozen eggs or more a week from him just for all of our baking purposes, because we use local free range eggs in all of our baking. So what are we making here today? So we are going to make a version. We started out by making a sweet potato feta and rosemary quiche with a crust. And then we figured out that it is a little more versatile if we went crustless. And so we did a frittata version of it. And I'm a huge fan of rosemary. I love putting it in anything I possibly can. And sweet potato and rosemary just seem to pair beautifully. We try to use as many local ingredients as we possibly can. We, f- I consciously try to find ways to do that because we do gluten-free baking and grain-free baking a lot of our flour bases and things like that we have to order in bulk that aren't locally available. So this is a way that we can get in a lot of local ingredients. So today with the sweet potato feta and rosemary quiche, we use the local free range eggs from Rising Moon Acres and then the sweet potato is from our are, are from Rising Moon Acres as well. So you can get those still through the winter. And uh, the rosemary, depending on the time of year, we will get locally. And then this feta, which is one of our favorites, is from Caprini Creamery. So we use that in a lot of our frittatas and quiche. We love being able to do that as much as possible. We do large trays for our purposes, but you can really scale this down to we have, we're prepping probably an eight by 12 to 16 pan, but you could do half that size pan as well and just half the recipe if you're just doing it for a small family of four or something. Um, Or you can do the big tray, honestly, and if you're feeding a crowd or if you want to slice and you like to do food prep and wrap them individually and even put them in the freezer, You know, for your kiddos, they just grab them, put them in your toaster oven, and they're ready to go for breakfast. So those are the sorts of things that I try to do because that's how I and know that they're eating healthy. Otherwise, yeah, they might be grabbing one of our brownies or something for breakfast. (laughs) The first thing we do is dice the local sweet potatoes and they're just half inch, one inch size, whatever, however chunky you prefer. It's a very forgiving recipe. We dice those, put them on a little sheet to roast and then we use coconut oil, but you could use olive oil. You could use ghee, bacon grease, if you like that kind of fat and we just drizzle it. A bit on the sweet potatoes, to then just follow it with a little bit of salt and pepper. Very simple, and just you can toss it around a bit. Again, very forgiving. And then we put them in about about a 400 to 450 degree oven, and you can they'll roast in within about 12 minutes. You know they'll get they'll get uh, fork tender. So those go in the oven here and we'll let those be. And then we get to do the fun part, which is you can either use parchment. I just use, I just grease heavily with some sort of fat and then we'll start transitioning the sweet potatoes and the feta and stuff in there. So I'll grab that. And I just take the sweet potatoes and we go, I'm all about trying to use as few dishes and pans as possible. So I just use the same exact pan, toss the the sweet potatoes on there, and then just distribute them evenly all over the pan. Very simple, very easy. and the and the great thing about this is if you don't like sweet potato, replace it with whatever is on hand whatever you like we do a, a spinach and goat cheese when asparagus is in season it's a really beautiful display of course broccoli and or you can just do, or just do a plain add a little bit of cheese or you can go dairy free too speaking of the cheese we will grab the feta so we should tell everyone that we're cutting the feta right mm-hmm. cutting it into just cubes again bite-sized pieces if you like a little like them a little chunkier go a little chunkier if you Want them a little smaller, you can dice them a little smaller. So that was just a six ounce cube, an entire cube that we uh, diced up. And we're just gonna take it back over to the pan where the sweet potatoes are. And again, just kind of distribute it evenly. Very simple, low maintenance, but super nutrient dense. That's always our motto. As many simple, clean ingredients as we can do. And then we're gonna take the, next up is the rosemary and again a really forgiving recipe so if you're not a big fan of rosemary add another herb that you like so you're just getting that off the stem I'm just pulling the yep so i do about three sprigs full sprigs of rosemary and we're just pulling it off the stem and then we're just gonna roughly chop those and we'll do the same thing sprinkle it over the feta and sweet potato all right so that's just just roughly chopped we're just sprinkling it over. It's time to add our cream base to our eggs. I so, do it. yeah. So this is 30 eggs. So it's a lot of eggs, but it's a lot of servings too that you get out of the frittata. <laughs> so this is the only thing we add to it is organic half oh and half. It's really versatile. If you have to be dairy-free, you can also use an organic heavy coconut cream that works great. Even just regular coconut milk would work well too and we are doing about a cup and a quarter. Do you wanna pour that in, Eleanor? (laughs) So this one's gonna be loud. This is a very loud and heavy-duty mixer, but you can just use your hand mixer. If you want an arm workout, you can also use just a regular old whisk, but it's gonna take you a little longer. Okay, ready? Here we go. This is the fun part. Give that a good mix till it's completely combined. And then that's all of our egg mixture. So we'll bring that over. We're just gonna pour it evenly and carefully. So I think that's
0: a, they call that a half sheet?
1: This is a half sheet, yes. So this would be a half sheet pan.
0: And about how many, how much of the sweet potato did you put in there?
1: About three. I would say medium-sized sweet potatoes. I just peel them first and then dice them into cubes and that's it. And then so this is just going in a 350 degree oven for approximately 40 minutes and that's about it. And then this is the hardest part of this recipe is getting it in not without spilling, even spilling it. That's right. <laughs> right honor. Mm-hmm. Getting it in the oven without spilling Filling any. It. Yes goes in the oven and then you set your timer. And you're all set.
0: And what are you looking for to see if it's done?
1: It just becomes it will it won't be liquid and it'll be firm to the touch in the center.
0: Brandy had a pre-baked pan of her sweet potato feta frittata ready for me to sample.
1: You can eat this obviously warm but it can be completely at room temperature. You can grab, I mean, there are times where I'm in a hurry and I just grab grab a square out of the refrigerator and I'm headed out the door with my coffee, you know, to get where I need to be. So that's one reason I love it so much because it is so, so versatile. It just checks so many boxes for us when we're feeding our family and and feeding our customers. Yeah, that
0: rosemary is nice. I like how, you know, like you were saying with the simple ingredient Mm -hmm. list, Mm -hmm. you really can taste every element. So you're that, Rosemary's coming through is. strong, but yeah. then you get that sweet hit with yeah, the... the
1: sweet potato, the little bit of saltiness from the cheese, and mm-hmm. yeah, it just hits. Yeah, I love all of the, all that combination. It's wonderful.
0: That was Brandy Williams with her daughter Eleanor of Primally Inspired Eats. These days, you can find their baked goods at Blooming Foods or on Saturdays at the People's Cooperative Market. That's in the old Kmart parking lot on East 3rd Street or order from their online store for Saturday pickup at Cup and Kettle Tea Company in downtown Bloomington. You can find links and the frittata recipe on our website, eartheats.org. The Earth Eats team includes Ayoban Binder, Chad Bouchard, Mark Chilla, Abraham Hill, Taylor Killo, Josephine McRobbie, the IU Food
3: Institute, Harvest Public Media, and me, Renee Reed. Our theme music is composed
0: by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. EarthEats is produced and edited by Kate Young, and our executive producer is John Bailey. Special thanks this week to Amanda Matson, Elizabeth Weichel, Brandy Williams, Eleanor Williams, and everyone at Primally Inspired Eats and Cup and Kettle Tea Company. Production support comes from Elizabeth Rue. Enrolled agent providing customized financial services for individuals, businesses, and disabled adults, including tax planning, bill paying, and estate services. More at personalfinancialservices.net. Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio. Architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at griffeycreek.studio and insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance, offering comprehensive home, auto, business, and life coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected. More at BillRushInsurance.com.